Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Colossal volcanic eruptions can wreak havoc on Earth. Now when there's a large volcanic eruption, we think about the ash clouds, we think about tsunamis, earthquakes, or lava. But there's more going on because those large pressure waves can spread across our atmosphere and also above it into the ionosphere and disrupt not only satellites but things we use for long distance communication. This week we find out how volcanoes can impact large areas. You may remember way back in late 2021 and then January of 2022 when the Pacific Ocean and many areas around that were hit with a very large eruption and subsequent tsunamis all stemming from the Hunga Tonga Hunga Apai volcano in the Tonga Archipelago. Now, this was a tremendous explosion of an undersea volcano. When I say undersea, it wasn't buried, you know, super deep. It's relatively shallow waters there, but it is an underwater volcano. And when it erupted, it was spectacular. You, there are satellite overhead footage of the animation, which you can go see and see how the clouds quickly erupt out. It was tremendously devastating. It was one of the largest explosions recorded in the atmosphere by modern instruments. If you think about any of the 20th century volcanic eruptions or bomb tests that we've had, there is a lot of competition for catastrophic eruptions. We think that the Krakatoa eruption in 1883 was probably similar in size. But nevertheless, this is a very huge explosion. And it was a huge explosion and a tremendous ash cloud that was formed, which caused all kinds of problems for the peoples of Tonga and surrounding islands. Of course, the actual impact was immense, um, directly from the explosion itself, with at least six people dead and with many more, of course, injured. The subsequent effects of the ash caused a lot of economic damage to the islands as well. And there was a large amount of recovery work to recover from this for Tonga and the surrounding islands. Now, one of the interesting parts about this immense explosion is that it was underwater. And yet there was still a huge ash cloud. And of course, there was also tsunamis because you have displaced a huge amount of water creating a tsunami as you expect. Basically like pushing out from the area of the volcano. So a lot of the Pacific was on high alert. But these things that we come to expect with volcanoes, we expect eruptions, we expect lava, we definitely expect ash, and we know that if it's near water, there's a strong chance of a tsunami. We can think about the impacts of all the people, ecosystems, and environment. That's naturally what we try and do when we assess a natural disaster like this here on Earth. But a colossal eruption like that doesn't just stop at the flat plane of Earth. Remembering that we exist in three-dimensional space and actually space and the atmosphere, the ionosphere, actually get really impacted by such a colossal eruption. And not just from what you're probably immediately assuming, which is of course ash in the jet stream. No, the satellites around the atmosphere were actually pretty disturbed and actually you can see that it was disrupting satellite signals halfway around the world. And one of the reasons how it was managing to do that has been just published and investigated by researchers from Nagoya University in Japan in the journal Scientific Reports. 
because this volcano was so colossal and devastating on the ground, in the water, but also in our ionosphere. And it produced an equatorial plasma bubble in the ionosphere, which played havoc for a while with all kinds of satellite communication. This is a large collaborative team from a number of different institutes, including, of course, Nagoya University, along with the Institute for Space Earth Environmental Research, the University of Electric Communications, Tohoku University in Japan, Kanazawa University, Kyoto University, and the ISAS. Of course, you know, a lot of different environmental agencies involved in this research. And lead principal investigators, of course, were Assistant Professor Atsuki Shinbori and Professor Yoshisumi Mishosi. And lead author on this particular paper is Atsuki Shinbori son himself. Now, these researchers were investigating what happened in the ionosphere in our atmosphere. Now, the ionosphere is an upper region of the atmosphere where all kinds of molecules, atoms, they all get bombarded with the stellar radiation, primarily from our sun, but not exclusively, of course, because there's other things that can bombard us with ions, high energy beams from deep outer space. But primarily, it's getting bombarded continually by solar radiation. This creates all kinds of positively charged ions. Now, the area with the highest concentrations of these ionized particles is known as the F region. It's an area of around 150 to 800 kilometers directly above the Earth's surface. And we actually use this F region a lot because with some clever tricks, we've known for a long time since the invention of radio that we can bounce signals around in our atmosphere and ionosphere. And its F region is used for long distance radio communication in particular, because you can reflect and reflect radio waves in this band and bounce it from one side of the earth to the other. And this is used by satellites, by radio systems, by GPS tracking, to basically have a great way of communicating long distances around the Earth's surface and as well as tracking things. Now, these are pretty essential systems. If you imagine what satellites are doing and GPS systems, how much we rely on them in our day-to-day -day lives and beyond, these are often using this F region. Now, that means if you get a lot of weird stuff happening in that F region, well, it can cause a lot of disruptions. Now, mostly during the day, the ionosphere is bombarded with light from the sun. This makes sense. If you think about like one side of our planet is facing one way as it rotates through, you sort of get this change in the ionosphere over the daytime. And the ionosphere is ionized by the sun's ultraviolet radiation, which creates this dense gradient of electrons. Strongest near the equator, the part actually literally closest to the sun, roughly speaking, and then gradienting off down towards the poles. But if you have a large disruption in the ionosphere, it can cause weird movements in plasma and electric fields to develop. You kind of have a gradient flow, much in the same way as you would have wind moving from one place to the other. And this can cause the formation of basically like storms or localized irregularity of plasma density. One area is super dense with plasma, another area is not. 
these regions can grow and change with time. And you end up with like a bubble forming that can then enlarge and shrink or pop. And these are called equatorial plasma bubbles. Now, when you have one of these bubbles in the way, much in the way that clouds can impact our atmosphere, you're changing the density of the ionosphere. That means you can bounce things faster or slower through them, depending on if it is more dense or less dense, because you're effectively changing the refraction. Much in the same way as if you have a wall made of concrete or made of wood or made of glass, you're trying to hear what music is playing inside one room on the other side of that wall. Well, depending on things in the way or what that wall is made of, you'll hear those sounds more or less clearly and you'll hear different frequencies. That's how sound can be transmitted through a different medium. The same thing occurs with light. When you see, for example, depending on oil or other liquids in your glass, you can change the way an object is bent or shaped and reflecting that light. The same thing is happening in our atmosphere with all kinds of radio waves by changing the density of this plasma in these equatorial plasma regions. Now, this density gradients and these waves and bubbles and bursting have been theorized for a while but we suspected that it's possible that you could have something from the earth that could go back up and influence the ionosphere now when scientists used these hypotheses and looked basically what happened in our ionosphere recently they saw that well it's not just possible it certainly happened now, the Tonga volcanic eruption was the biggest submarine eruption that we've recorded in scientific history. We probably have definitely had bigger in Earth's past, but not that we've had measurements to take. And this allowed the team to go back through satellite data to see if they could detect any equatorial plasma bubbles being formed. And to do this, they used the Arase satellite to detect the EPV occurrences, and then another satellite, the Himorari 8 satellite, to check the pressure waves as they spread out across our atmosphere. And they also used ground-based ionospheric observations to track how the ionosphere changed over time around that eruption. And what they saw is an irregular structure of electron density across the equator that occurred after the arrival of the pressure waves generated by the volcanic eruption. So just to take a step back here, when the volcanic eruption happened, it was massive and it caused pressure waves long distances that blew out windows that caused all kinds of damage, physical damage, because these are air pressure waves. That's the danger of a large eruption. But when that pressure wave got to certain locations, then it actually also lead to changes in the ionosphere as well. Makes sense. A massive change in the atmosphere definitely would cause more changes as well to occur in related things like upper atmosphere or the ionosphere. And this study showed that the equatorial plasma bubbles were generated at a low altitude ionosphere in Asia in response to the arrival of the pressure waves coming from the volcanic eruptions in Tonga. So this is pretty amazing. So it wasn't that the bubbles were forming around the volcano itself but as those pressure waves spread out and got to nearer to the equator it caused some of these bubbles to occur started to investigate more deeply based on the data they had of ionospheric readings, they checked their timelines again. And 
Contrary to what normally is the understanding of, well, pressure wave comes, causes ionosphere disturbance, they found several instances where the actual ionosphere fluctuations started a few minutes, or maybe even in some cases, hours earlier than the atmospheric pressure wave hitting them. This means it's actually the ionosphere reacting earlier in some cases than the as a result of the pressure wave, because the pressure wave has to move through air, so it, it is, comparatively speaking, slow, whereas the ionosphere is probably potentially also faster for it to travel. And so there was definitely ionosphere disturbances that are several minutes to hours before the actual shock waves actually arrived. So this suggests that the propagation of really, really fast atmospheric waves in the ionosphere could also cause a lot of disturbances that managed to travel faster than the actual air-based shock waves that were precipitating out as pressure waves. This is really fascinating for the scientists because it shows that it can go both ways and also that the atmosphere and the ionosphere are way more complicated than we thought. So not only is it possible for ground-based things to influence our ionosphere, knock out communications with satellites, but it's also possible for those ground-based things to make a response in the ionosphere really quickly, faster than it would be if it was traveling through the lower levels. And this changes the scientific understanding of a lot of space weather and disaster response. If there's a large-scale event like the volcanic volcanic eruptions, this can cause all kinds of strange behavior in our atmosphere that we need to be prepared for and expect next time we have a large eruption like this that we would see satellite, for example, or long-distance radio communication upheaval. It's not something you would have immediately thought to go and check, but it's certainly now we know there's a possibility. Now, this goes to show that when you have a colossal eruption with tremendous forces involved, things aren't simple, and you will get all kinds of strange unusual behavior and that's not limited to the air to the ash to the tsunamis but also to the complications in our ionosphere there's some great research published in the journal scientific report with lead author on this paper Atsuki Shinobori from Nagoya University along with a number of other universities and institutions in Japan this has been the young scientists of Australia's podcast Lagrange Point Volcanic eruptions can disrupt our ionosphere, which can lead to havoc for satellites and long-distance communications, and the interaction between volcanoes and the ionosphere is more complicated than we thought. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.